This is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got some facts. We have a bit to get into get into today. I have a word on a free segment. I'm going to be getting into these mass shootings, the gun violence, and of course, uh, the Biden as uh, the Biden administ- uh, administration's response to that. Also, want to get into some baseball as well, just to kind of get off of that topic a little bit. I know it's going to be a little bit heavy. I like to focus on a few different things. You know how I do. Uh, but we are going to get through my National League previews course we're about a week or so into the season uh, we played a few games by now also give you my predictions for how i at least see the rankings uh panning out for each of the leagues also want to get into the nba playoffs as well and um yeah that's how we oh i also want to get into uh something that grinds my gears uh, I'll, I'll leave that for the end uh but i want to get into something about you know just human relations and probably what not to say to certain people but Anyway, we're going to get into it with the word on the street segment first. Of course, I wanted to get into this this gun violence, these mass shootings for a little bit here. And focusing on, you know, the topic at hand, of course, the violence and, of course, these mass shootings. Uh, these are some stats that I got from gunviolencearchive.org. Uh, this is a nonprofit website that strictly, uh, you know, just, you know, strictly has the stats here. Uh, just showcasing you how many... Uh, shootings there have been mass shootings uh murders in general or just shooting incidents in general whether it, inc- it, it these include suicide stats as well you'll also see uh links to not only articles relating to these incidents uh, a few different articles but you'll also see the actual source of it the actual police uh you know as limited as it is but you'll see an actual police report it takes you to the link for that as well so like i said GunViolenceArchive.org. Let's get into it. Like I said, uh, there's been, you know, there's been a rise of these, not just mass shootings, but gun violence in general. So far this year, there's been 5,698 cases or shootings in general. And this includes homicides, murder, whatever you want to call it. There's also been 147 mass shootings uh, this year. Now, this is a trend here of just rising shootings or mass shootings. Now, for example, in 2014, there were 269 compared to 611 in 2020. And uh, also, we've had six mass murders so far this year. Now, we talk about some of the victims. Now, 92 children have lost their lives this year. And this includes ages 0 to 11. 210 of them have been injured. 600 kids were victims in 2014. We had 999 in 2020. Now, if we were to follow the trend, it's rising, of course, significantly. You know, of course, we're talking, you know, a a much higher number. And it's just sad. Now, for the teens, we've had 388 teens killed so far this year. Now, 957 of them have been injured. Now, this is, you know, again, this is just a rising problem where we've had uh, 2,318 teen victims in 2014. Of course, ages 12 to 19. And of course, so far, well, of course, the rise is significant in 2020 where we've had 4,142. Now, what is going on? Are we catching, are these kids catching strays? I think there's some of that. Uh, in terms of these teenagers, of course, 
they're more going to be more inclined to gain activity. So that's what you're you're going to be seeing here. But again, you know, there's a there's an issue. This issue is, of course, we talked about, you know, we mentioned the children here. This is affecting all different groups of people, all different backgrounds. This affects a lot of different people, you know, and, you know, for example, we're going to talk about some of the major shootings uh, within the past uh, month. Well, just in this month. And it's all different backgrounds, different parts of the nation. So, it, you know, it's not just a liberal conservative thing. It's, it's, a, it's an issue that affects the people and not just, you know, these voting blocks or these, you know, these political parties. Although, of course, they're going to put their slants on this. And, for example, April 3rd, we had a shooting in Dallas where one person was killed, 15 were injured. This was at a concert. Uh, I, I'm not too sure the exact genre. I don't think that even matters, but it was a concert uh, set up by a, a church, I, you know, a member of a, a prominent member of uh, a church in that area. Uh, he was a, what do you would call that? Um, I guess you would call that a, uh, I, I wouldn't know what you would call, uh, I guess some, you know, a person who set up some type of events, an event planner, excuse me. Uh, now, it happened at one of his events. Now, there's no real background as to, you know, why this could have happened because, again, the shooter for this situation hasn't been found yet. But again, this was at uh, a sort of, uh, you could call it a concert in Dallas earlier in the month. Again, 15 people injured, one person killed. Now we move on to Sacramento. We have a gang fight here with six people being killed, 12 people being injured, uh, including, of course, non-gang members, of course. Now the shooter was seen on a, um, surveillance tossing his gun, uh, which ended up being a Glock with an extended mag, also had tactical laser sight, and a full automatic switch. So again, uh, this is what you know is getting into the hands of these criminals. Say, you know, call it what you want. It is what it is. He's killing people, and they're killing each other. Well, you know, whatever, you know, and you know, people get all butthurt about how you how you might want to use certain terminologies. But again, when you know you are committing these, you know, these you call them mass shootings. Call it what you want. In the form, it's, it's terrorism. It, it it creates fear in the community. We we look at the we look at terrorism as what's going on in the Middle East and suicide bombers. When you're shooting up, you know, people in the community and people are getting hit because of that, and people have to be traumatized and deal with that on a daily basis. Again, this is what happened. Now again, we go to April 10th, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We have two men being charged here. Uh, they pretty much unloaded on two people. Uh, they were targeting one person, but they ended up killing two. They ended up shooting, I believe, in, injuring about, uh, I believe, up to 20 people. They unloaded 12 to 24 rounds. So, again, this is this is getting crazier and crazier. We get to the Bronx and uh, Brooklyn in New York, of course. Uh, one, uh, the shooting in the Bronx killed... Uh, one person injured three, and then we get to Brooklyn. Of course, up to 23 people were injured. You know, the good thing is, the one good thing is nobody died, of course. Now, the shooter himself was named Frank James. He admitted himself to a history of mental illness, and this will get into uh, some of, you know, my issues or, uh, of course, some of my, my issues with the misinformation that's being spread, uh, you know, about at least, you know, this administration's response to gun control, gun control, or just responses to gun control in general. 
And, uh, you know, we get to the situation, like I said, in New York, he unloads, he hits up with 23 people. Again, he admitted to a history of mental illness. Again, he has access to weapons. And then finally, we get uh, earlier in the week, earlier this week, April 20th, 420, in Duluth, Minnesota, when a man opened fire on his entire family and five people. This is five deaths that results in this, including his own. And he himself, well, what they are saying here is that he suffered from a psychotic event as well or a mental health crisis. So let's um, talk about, I guess, some of the factors behind this. And we'll get more into this administration's response. Some of the factors that we're seeing, of course, uh, that we've always typically seen, we, we, we've seen the encounter with the gangs. We've had that. We also see this, at least with two of these cases, mental health. The shooter in the Brooklyn situation, he's admitted, again, like I said, to a history of these issues. He also claimed that New York City had terrible ways to go about handling his problems. Uh, it was in a situ it was a situation in which it would build, uh, what he's saying, it would build a killer. So that opens up so many different you know, realms of discussion here. Now, we're still having a gang issue that we, we haven't, you know, dealt with. Uh, we're still having these issues with mental health and these people accessing these, these uh, situ you know, guns and having these episodes. Of course, we're, you know, we have people, you know, taking chances because of the economy. We know this, the same tried and true stories. Now, the, the, we get into, of course, Biden's response to all this. Now, he's working with the ATF to finally impose these background checks. Now, this is where the misinformation comes in. Of course, we'll have the right and the Republicans saying, oh, no, they're trying to take away all the guns. That's not true. They're not trying to take them away from law-abiding citizens. That's, again, that's been the, that's been the lie that's been thrown out there. That's not necessarily the case. The big thing is, no matter too many sources you'll go to, even the White House itself is going to tell you one of the big things here is background checks. For some reason, these stores are not doing a complete or a background check at all. So you're allowing these people, such as a Frank James, to purchase these weapons, and who knows what happens. But it's not on the... Because, again, we'll get to the point where it's not guns kill people, it's the people kill people. So, right... <clears throat> So how do we address that? Well, we we access or we allow background checks. Simple as that. Nowhere does it say take away guns or anything like that from anybody. It just says background checks. So I would I would imagine if somebody pops up and it's a violent crime on the record, maybe you want to sell it to them or they have a history of some type of mental illness, maybe you don't sell a gun to them. Will it affect gun sales? Possibly. Maybe that's why these gun corporations are tripping. Maybe that's the right. Maybe that's why the right and Republicans are tripping because that's they big, you know, corporate buddy. I don't know. Again, it is what it is. They're gonna tell you, oh, they're gonna try to take away all the guns from the law-abiding citizens. All the guns. That's not true. Again, background checks. So far, they've named a new head of the ATF, Steve Dettelbach. Look him up. He's some type of big-time prosecutor. So, again, 
you know, they got it is business as usual. They gonna lock people up. That's part of doing what you gotta do anyway. Another big focus was, you know, to some extent, and I'm I'm not saying you gotta lock everybody up and all this, but you know, murderers you gotta get them off the street. Obviously, that doesn't mean you don't address the things that could <clears throat> lead to these things, such as the mental health and you know, repairing these facilities, making sure you get the quality. Uh, employees there that are really going to work well and try to help these people instead of just get them strung out on drugs and exacerbate their problems through ineffective uh, means and measures. That's what we. That's what obviously we're seeing. The guy told you himself. The guy that did all the shooting in Brooklyn told you they suck. They didn't help me get through my problems. They made they made my situation. Obviously, according to him, they made the situation even worse. So again, we can. We can hire new heads of the ATF to watch the firearms. We can do the background check, but we do have to, uh, you know, help out in other ways as well. The, the administration should be helping out in other ways as well by providing proper, um, you know, access to improved health care. You know, because again, this seems to be a problem here. Again, in terms of, you know, gang violence as community outreach, you can, uh, you know, the Biden administration claims they have allocated funds to that up to 50 million fine um, we can also as a community uh, black and brown people uh, whoever you know and whoever is facing these issues with these you know gangs whatever you know we try to outreach ourselves and get ourselves in there kind of you know getting an understanding with both sides and trying to maintain you know some type of cohesion or a better relation between everybody you know i know that sounds too utopian that sounds too much like right but at the same time you know again all the killing is going to bring the police into the neighborhood increasing police and, and brown and black interactions and that leads to shooting and people want to be mad about that and all that so there has to be some type of improvement on certain levels on both sides and I think the people can take a proactive stance on their end. But as far as what, you know, Biden is actually doing and what's going on, uh, more about that. The big issue here is the ghost guns. And the ghost guns are, of course, without a serial number. What the Biden administration wants to do here is, you know, again, require that all guns, you know, all gun purchases require, of course, that background check we mentioned before and a serial number. It's as simple as that. Um. I know people are like, well, well, the government might know, you know, might know that I have a gun or whatever. They might have access to whatever information. But if you're not committing a crime, if you're not, you know, convicted of murder, then you're fine. All it, all, you know, all the serial number is, is this is just the log of, well, you know, if you happen to commit a crime, this is what happened. It's not the most, you know, serious thing in the world. I'm, I'm just saying. Having a serial number on your gun and having, a, you know, being able to track you just in case you do something, hey, that, hey, it's whatever. Now, again, people will say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm like, okay, that's, that's perfectly fine. But again, when these situations happen, how do we get these guns off the street? Is that the plan or is it to take the guns off the street or, you know, is it to make sure certain people don't get them? There has to be some type of resolution here because, you know, again, 92 kids have already been killed. The teenagers, 388 teenagers have been have been killed. We're not even looking at the numbers for adults in general, but we've already had 147 mass uh, shootings, over 5,000 shootings in general. So something has to give on some sort of side here. Say what you want, you know, a serial number on a gun ain't gonna ain't gonna 
necessarily stop things, but at the same time, at least you'll have you know access to understand access to who did what, when it could have been done, and maybe you can apprehend somebody. Maybe you can stop these crimes. Got to lock and and when people get caught up in these situations, when people commit murders, they got to go to jail. It's simple as that. It is what it is. I understand you get caught up in, you know, the drug game or, you know, you're a simple, you know, salesman. You're trying to get your things right and your life right. Hey, things happen. We can address those things too. More jobs, more assets, that quality education. Maybe you shouldn't have to pay for post-secondary education. That probably would help. People have more access to training and job training. I'm just saying there's, there's things that we can, that the government could really do as well as, as opposed to just focusing on guns, which is, I get it, but that's what... The Republicans use to trigger their constituents by saying, okay, well, they're just going to focus on taking away the guns. They're just going to focus on the guns. They could focus on guns, but also, like I said, the other factors as well. Providing adequate mental health services, providing adequate or superior um, you know, post-secondary education, job training, job placement. These are things that will work as well. So I get it. There's there's multiple ways that we can handle it. And also in terms of our communities, we can also, you know, at least get involved our own way and trying to make sure these things are really being, you know, met by our community leaders, local, state and federal wise. There's town hall meetings. Again, there's ways that we can get involved as well. So, again, big news. There's a lot of shooting. The president is looking to do something about it. Again, I don't agree with everything he's done so far. I would vehemently be against the mass mandates. This seems to make sense. There's a lot of things that the Republicans are doing right now that I'm not really all for in terms of, again, voting rights and voting access. But I got to give credit where credit is due. Rick, Rick DeSantis down there in Florida is doing a couple positive things in terms of his you know, law that he passed for single fathers or fathers in general. So, uh, there's things that you have to, you have to give credit where credit is due, but at the same time, you know, of course, I'm still going to be critical. I have no problem with background checks. If you have nothing going on, if you are not going to be doing anything, I don't have a problem with a gun that I purchased having a serial number on it, because I have nothing, I have no intention on committing any crimes, <laughs> you know, um. So I don't, I, I wouldn't buy a ghost gun. That wasn't, that wouldn't have been my goal in the first place, so. Again, background checks, uh, hey, that's what they're looking at. They want to crack down on ghost guns. Nothing about taking away anything. I haven't come across, again, outside of from Fox News and the Republican. Now, you're, you can, anything by Breitbart or anything like that, or, of course, Prager, those people, you know, whoever's on, whoever, quote-unquote, red pill, they're all going to say that same drama. They're going to take away the guns. But if you look at it for what it is, all I see background checks serial numbers that's it um get over it uh it, it make it makes sense it's it's as i mean it's 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 something you know what i'm saying again there's other ways you can like i said there's other ways we can address it in terms of providing education again jobs and so on the floor so you know so forth community outreach that we can do of course that can all be done as well but you know in terms of the actual actual you know stance against you know the situation i mean it's as basic as you can get and I can, I can, as i can tell you in my opinion um and i don't have any problems with it honestly
that, that that's it. I'm not saying he did a great job because again, there's other things we can focus on in terms of you know addressing this. Uh, again, Biden again he again he wanted to reinvest some money into the police as well. I wasn't all cool with that either. So it's hit and miss. This was okay. Again, it's hit and miss. Like I said, Republicans do okay things and they do fucked up things as well. I'm pointing these things out to you as I see them, as I am trying to understand how they do things, both of these guys. So, again, like I said, background checks, serial numbers, that's that's the gun control movement right now. Anything else is a little bit, anything else is pretty much an exaggeration at this point. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be going into the wild water sports, of course. We got some uh, MLB previews to break down. Of course, we'll go through the scores of the day and a little bit of the standings. And then, of course, we'll get to the NBA playoffs. And, of course, I got something to say for y'all for the end of everything. So, I'll be right back, y'all. I'm going to take a quick break. going to get into some playoff recaps we are going to start off with the raptors sixers series the sixers are currently on top of this one three games to zero and three uh sorry in game two uh the sixers pretty much got a blowout win 97 to 97 to 112 og anubi will be the late og anubi will be the uh, leading scorer for the raptors in that one 26 points Fred uh, Fred Van Fleet and also Pascal Siakam will put up uh, 16, no, sorry, 20 points each as well. Uh, Siakam would have 10 rebounds and Van Fleet would have 7 assists. Joel Embiid would have 31 points and 11 rebounds uh, for the Sixers. And Tyrese Maxey would have 23 points, 8 assists, and 9 rebounds. Uh, game 3 will go into overtime. Final score 104-101, of course, in favor of the 76ers. Uh, the Sixers had 21 turnovers in this game that pretty much was you know is why that game uh, went the way it went uh, Sixers can't do that going into game four I do have them favored in that one uh, just because through it all they were able to find a way to get it done Joel and B would have 33 points in this one 13 rebounds OG Anubi uh, Anubi excuse me not too far behind him with 26 points four assists and also five rebounds let's take a look at the jazz and the mavericks series the mavericks are currently on top two games to one uh in, in game two uh jalen brunson will go off in the mavericks 110 to 104 victory 44 sorry 41 points from him five assists and eight rebounds dallas would outscore utah in the fourth quarter 33 to 23 just to kind of seal the deal they would also shoot 46 percent from three game three a little bit of a well, a little bit of a wider margin, 126 to 118. Of course, in favor of Dallas, Jalen Brunson will go off again. The team's leading score with 31 points. 
also had five assists. Uh, Donovan Donovan Mitchell uh, was actually the the leading scorer between both teams with 32 points, six assists, and also uh, sorry, six assists uh, on top. And I think a couple rebounds as well. But Utah Utah would dominate in the paint. That'll be the, that's been the story of the series. Uh, it seems that uh, Dallas has been able to you know make things drop uh, from a distance. And of course Utah, you know as they normally do, uh, attack the paint pretty well. With Gobert, of course, you had Donovan, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who could make some plays under the basket as well. 56 points in the paint, but Dallas would sink 18 threes again. Twos are, sorry, threes are better than twos. That's what it comes down to. And Dallas has just been firing at a higher rate. And, of course, they've been falling for them. Uh, the Mavericks would also force 10 steals in this one and also 14 turnovers. So, again... Dallas, even without Luka, is looking to uh, take full advantage of the series, and they look like they're in a good position to do so. Uh, let's move on to the Nuggets and the Warriors series. The Warriors are uh, currently on top of this one, three games to zero. I don't think anybody was surprised uh, about what they're seeing here. Uh, maybe with just the explosiveness we're seeing uh, from Golden State's offense, that's uh, kind of surprising to people. I, I'm not really surprised. I, you know, I figured this would be. Um, a matter of, of time just because of who they have. So, uh, again, I'm not surprised, but, again, it, it is what it is. Game two, uh, Warriors blow out Denver 106 to one, sorry, 106 to 126 at the final score. Steph Curry would do his thing with 34 points, four assists, and three rebounds. Jordan Poole would have 29 points, eight assists, and also five rebounds. Klay Thompson will get 21 points as well. Of course, for the Nuggets, uh, Nikola is trying to do his best. Uh, but it's really only him there right now. 26 points from him, 11 rebounds. 56, uh, sorry, 54% shooting from the field uh, from the Golden State. The Nuggets would give up 16 turnovers. And when you do that with the Warriors, they just feast on it because, again, you know, they get into the uh, transition. They can set up the three. Of course, they can shut up their jumpers. That's what they do. Uh, Warriors would score big in the second and third quarters, I believe, above uh, above 40 points if I'm not mistaken so just you know just firing on all cylinders uh, this is probably going to be the one sweep of the first round uh, but we're going into game three this game was a little bit closer 118 to 113 of course in favor of the Warriors uh, Jokic would have 37 points 5 assists and 18 rebounds he would lead all scores in that game but just coming up too short the Nuggets would only uh, put up 18 points in the third quarter and also gave up 17 turnovers that's how you not that's you know that that is how you not win a game and that just putting up those 18 points in the third quarter that really you know that was the bottom line for them in terms of the final score because they played a competitive fourth quarter they made it really close but again when you can't you got to score in all quarters you got to play great facets of basketball in all sides and you know it, it just seems that you know Denver is just out two good players and it's obvious right now uh, but let's move on to the Heat and Hawks series. Uh, Miami is currently leading this one two games to one. In game two, um, Jimmy Buckets, of course, will go off. 45 points from him, five assists, and also five rebounds. Uh, Tyler Hero will get 15 points, and Trey Young uh, will do his thing for Atlanta with 25 points, seven assists, and six rebounds. Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, would help out, I believe, uh, I believe over 18, I think about 18 points as well. Uh, but the Heat would force nine steals, 19 turnovers. That would be pretty much the factor. 115-105 in game two. In game three, uh, my, sorry, game three, I'm sorry, uh, the Hawks would finally win a game here. 
uh, 110 to 111, uh, just, you know, down to the very end. Uh, Trey Young, uh, 24 points of him, 80, sorry, 8 assists, 4 rebounds. Bogdan Bogdanovich, 18 points of him, 6 assists, and also 8 rebounds. For the Heat, Tyler Hero will be the leading scorer with 24 points, 4 assists, and also 7 rebounds. I believe Jimmy Butler had around 20 points on top of that, too. Uh, but for the Hawks, they would only score 16 points in the third quarter. Uh, and uh, But... Overall, it was a decent offensive game, or a pretty good offensive game for them shooting up, shooting 50%, uh, sorry, over 50% from the field. And, uh, you know, again, just, you know, getting the bas- baskets to fall, you know, when they needed them to, that was the key to the game here. Uh, Miami would control the rebounds, uh, 40, 45 from them. They also would have 30 team assists. Again, uh, great effort uh, from both teams in this one, but again, down the stretch, the Hawks made the plays to win this one. Uh, moving on, uh, the terms of the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. The Grizzlies, sorry, the Grizzlies are in, are in control of this one. Two games to one. Uh, in game two, uh, we have uh, John Morant going off. Well, not necessarily going off, but the leading score between both teams with 23 points and 10 assists and also nine rebounds. Anthony Edward, uh, Edwards will be the leading scorer for Minnesota with 20 points and six rebounds. But, of course, Memphis will get the win 124-96. to 96. Uh, Memphis would have six players scoring with double digits. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jr., excuse me, and also Desmond Bain would also have 16 points. Uh, Minnesota would have four players scoring in double digits, so just – uh, just not enough, and the production wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same. Uh, but um, Minnesota would also shoot for, uh, 39% from the field, uh, t- 28% from three in that game, and they only scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. They also would give up 19 turnovers. You know, not a good sign, of course, when you're playing a team uh, like uh, Memphis either because, again, they get into transition. Uh, they can set up a lot of different people, of course, with John Morant. You know, he can make shots. But, again, uh, as we can see, J- uh, Desmond Bain, uh, he's becoming a factor uh, somewhat in these series as well, a little bit of an X factor. And, and any one of these players, actually, for Memphis can do this. Uh, they're just a really deep team right now. Uh, but we look at game three, of course, another win for Memphis, uh, 104-95. to 95. Uh, Desmond Bain will come on top, come out on top in that one, 26 points. Yes, six rebounds, pretty much broke. Yep, broke the Timberwolves back in this one. Uh, like they were the Dark Knight. Brandon Clark would have 20 points and 8 rebounds. And uh, a t- another takeaway from this one, we had three other players scoring in double digits for Memphis in this one. John Moran, of course, uh, double-double, actually a triple-double from him. 16 points, 10 assists, and 10 rebounds. So not a lot of scoring from him, but he was actually he was still able to uh, help his team get the W. Uh, big story, of course, Desmond Bain with the 26. Now, again, uh, only... 38% shooting and 34% shooting from three uh, from the Timberwolves. They only scored 12 points in the fourth quarter. So that's not a good sign. You don't want to fall apart in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's the time where you're supposed to be, you know, putting the, you know, foot on the gas and, you know, ending something or really starting those runs to try to, try to take us, you know, to snatch a win or something like that. But nothing, nothing from Minnesota in that fourth quarter. Again, only 12 points. Bad, bad look. 
But uh, let's move on. We have the Pelicans and the Suns matchup. The Suns currently lead this series two games to one. In game two, the Pelicans were able to snatch a win, 125-114. to uh, Brandon Ingram is, uh, is just continuing his ascent into one of the, the premier scorers in the league. In my opinion, 37 points, 9 assists, 11 rebounds. Uh, the Pelicans will shoot 56% from three. Uh, they also had 43 total rebounds, 11 offensive rebounds. Uh, just, just a you know a really good game all around for the Pelicans. But uh, you know, again, Phoenix will gain the advantage in Game Three. A pretty, uh, you know, pr pretty close game. Uh, the final score, uh, if I'm not mistaken, one I think it was one thirteen, uh, one twelve, or maybe one uh, one fourteen, something like that. One fourteen, one twelve. Uh, you know. Came down to a, a few different buckets and a few different plays, but again, the Suns were able to to make those plays happen. Uh, DeAndre Ayton and both both him and uh, Chris Paul will get 28 points. Uh, Chris Paul will get uh, 14 rebounds, also sorry, 14 assists and also four rebounds. Uh, Chris Paul would also score 15 points in the fourth quarter. Pretty much uh, the X factor in which sealed the deal. Another win up for Phoenix again, but not a, I mean, again, not a bad game from New Orleans. You had Brandon Ingram putting up 34 points, seven rebounds. You also got CJ McCollum with 30 points, seven assists, and four rebounds. Uh, but at the end of the day, the turnovers, uh, the Suns will force 14 of them. And again, <clears throat> just the, the presence of Chris Paul in that last quarter, you know, he made some really tough shots uh, that, you know, uh, that the Pelicans had no answer for. Uh, he was able, was able to find the open guy, but even before then, uh, before the fourth quarter, you saw, you know, many different components going for the Suns. You had uh, McGee, uh, JaVale McGee, putting up about 13 points, really dominating the paint, helping out DeAndre Ayton in terms of that scoring. Uh, you didn't see, um, oh, I don't want to give him the wrong name, uh, Cra uh, Crawford, um, you know, he played a solid game. He didn't score a whole lot of points, but made some impactful plays, particularly offensive rebounds and putting it back up, uh, those type of plays. So, you know, again, all cylinders working for the Suns. Again, with that being said, the Pelicans played them real close. This should be a really close series, no matter how many games uh, we end up seeing. Uh, at least in my opinion, but it, it was a good game. It was a good game. A uh, couple more series I want to get through here. We got, of course, uh, Bulls and Bucks. Uh, the Bucks are currently leading this series uh, two games to one. Of course, uh, the Bulls were able to get a win uh, in there. Well, uh, well, were able to get a win in game three. No, sorry, game two, 114 to 110. Uh, of course, DeMar, DeMar DeRozan, the story of that one. Uh, 41 points from him, four assists, and also seven rebounds. Uh, Giannis will lead the way uh, for the Bucks, uh, although they will come up just a little bit short. 33 points from him, nine assists, and also 18 rebounds. Uh, but game three, uh, the Bucks again were just able to shut this team out. Really ugly game from uh, uh, from the Bulls. Excuse me, 111 to 81. Grayson Allen, though, with a team's leading score, uh, at least for Milwaukee, 22 points, 6 assists. Giannis would have 18 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds. Nikola Vucevic would do his thing for the Bulls, 19 points and 6 rebounds. But 
really, I mean, just a poor shooting uh, night from uh, from Chicago. 26% from three, 39% from the field, only scored 17 points, I believe it was the first quarter, and just 18 points in the third. When you're not scoring like that in two in two whole quarters, yeah, you're, you're only going to get 81 total points. It makes sense. Uh, but in terms of what the Bucks were able to accomplish, they had five uh, five players scoring, and ten, uh, scoring 10 points or more. Uh, you know, we also had, uh, well, that includes Bobby Portis, Grayson Allen, and of course, I believe that was Pat Connaughton combining for 51 points, 28 rebounds, and 11 threes. This is, of course, with Giannis taking some time out this game. I don't think there was any, any injury, you know, worries. Uh, nothing came up. I just know that, you know, he was limited to 29 minutes. I don't know why. Uh, we also got Chris Middleton out uh, for the rest of the series with a sprained MCL. But the bench or the role players for Milwaukee really stood up. Uh, again, this will probably be the factor in this series. Uh, and also, if we look at the regular season matchups, the Bulls didn't do that well either. So, again, you know, you kind of want to say it's a foregone conclusion, particularly at this point, you know, Game two was probably as close it was gonna as it was gonna get, uh, in my opinion. We'll see. Maybe there's one more forty plus point from forty plus point game from the Rosen. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know. Uh, finally, we have the Nets and the Celtics series. Of course, the Celtics lead the series two games to zip. Of course, in that game two, uh, they get the win, one fourteen to one oh seven. KD will go off to an extent, 27 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. Jalen Brown will be the leading scorer for Boston, 22 points, 6 assists, and 4 rebounds. Uh, the story in this one for me, Kyrie, uh, 10 points from him. The next would only, 10 points from him in total, and the next would only score 17 points in the fourth quarter. Of course, we had some of the best, uh, two of the best scores, you know, in, in basketball history, at least in recent history. Uh, for y'all to only score 17 points, that's not a good sign. Is it them choking? Is it Boston defense? I think we'll have to tune in for game three to kind of figure that one out. Uh, but I think... I think it's bad news for the Nets right now because that would have been a perfect time for them to go off, kind of snatch a game, even things up uh, for both of them to not really show up. And you have Jalen Brown still doing his thing, Jason Tatum, not the, the team's leading scorer in this game, but still a factor. Uh, it's ugly. It's ugly. So moving on uh, for tomorrow or Technically, it's today with when I'm recording all this. Uh, but for today's matchups, we had the Sixers going up against the Raptors in Game Four. I got I got the Sixers closing things out. I don't see where you know the Raptors Raptors really got anything for these guys. Uh, that's giving them the best that they get. You know they got so far. Game Three went into overtime. Uh, but again, the Sixers just seem to find a way. They gave up like 21 turnovers in that Game Three. Uh, like I said, still won. I got Embiid. Um, I got Embiid in, in, in the, you know, heart and in them. So um, I think the, the Sixers, they get a sweep just like the Warriors when that when that uh, series comes to. Uh, but moving on, we had the Mavericks facing off against the Jazz. Uh, the Mavericks seem to be doing just fine without Luka. I think uh, Luka is the is the key that, that, you know, pushes them through this series. Um, I think it's a good chance to go up 3-1 and really solidify things, just waiting for Luka to come back. I'm going with the Mavericks. <clears throat> they just seem to be, they just seem to be, again, firing on all cylinders offensively. Jalen Brunson, two back-to-back, -back, uh, really, uh, well, over 30-point games. Uh, we, you know, I'm going with the Mavericks, the Jazz. Um, 
don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what they got to offer. This just being honest. Next and Celtics, you know how I feel about that one. And finally, we have the Grizzlies. Uh, Grizzlies and Timberwolves game four. You know the first. The first game was wild. I was not expecting the Timberwolves to win, particularly by that margin. It seems as though Memphis has gotten things under control. I like how deep Memphis is. I personally, uh, I just think they're just a tad bit better with who they have at the helm with uh, John ja Morant. I got them taking even more control of this series uh, with another win here going up three games to one. Uh, I don't think they had a whole, I don't think the Timberwolves had a whole lot of answers uh, to just how deep uh, Memphis can get. They didn't have any answers for Anthony, uh, sorry, Desmond Bain. And uh, they, they, they also, you know, even let, you know, a couple different players off that Memphis bench. Again, uh, up to six players, I believe it was, in game two go off for double digits. So it's primed to happen again. I don't think the Timberwolves are that great of a team defensively. I think Grizzlies take advantage of that and also do their thing defensively. It could also be another blowout. All right, y'all, I'm going to take another quick break. When we come back, I will be breaking down some MLB action. Of course, I want to break down the uh, the rest of my previews this time for the National League teams. I'll be breaking down the scores of the day. I guess at this point in time, it'll be yesterday, Friday, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. And also, uh, we're breaking down the standings, uh, the first standings that I have for the season. So, I'll be right back, y'all. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mark. get into it we're gonna break down uh we'll get into some mlb action first and foremost like i said i wanted to break down uh, my teams we'll break down each team kind of going into the season i know we a few games in uh but i kind of wanted to give you guys a preview a, a, a somewhat somewhat of a guide to what to look out for for these guys and uh a little bit of what's going on briefly what's going on this year uh, but mostly kind of, you know, what happened for them last year. Any, you know, big off, you know, off-season acquisition, we're going to talk about that or departures. Uh, just general news in general referring uh, to what, what went on with this team. And, you know, again, in the off-season and right, you know, before the season going into uh, spring training. And uh, I'm going to take a stab at uh, guessing, like I said, the standings uh, to finish everything off and maybe a couple uh, maybe the maybe the wild card teams as well, uh, but like I said, let's get into it. Like I said, uh, we're gonna be doing the National League uh, tonight, and we're gonna start off in the National League, National League East. The first time, the first team we're gonna break down is the Marlins. They finished last year fourth in division, uh, sixty-seven and ninety-five this year. 
Uh, it's still pretty much a difficult climb. They're currently five and eight. Uh, but last year, in terms of stats, they had a stat line that read 233, a 233 average, 308 on base percentage, and 387 slugging. They were 14th in batting average, 15th in on base, and 14th in slugging. So you kind of know how things are going. They also had the 15th, uh, well, they had the last, they had the worst rated OPS, excuse me, team OPS um, at a 695. Of course, that was. Uh, within the NL. Now, one bright spot for this team offensively was Jesus Aguilar at the second base position. 22 home runs, 93 RBIs from him. His stat line was pretty good. 261, 329, 459. Uh, they are bringing in a new uh, catcher as well as Jacob's, uh, Jacob Stallings, a former Gold Glove winner. Uh, they are looking to break in a new coaching staff uh, with a new third base coach and also a hitting coach as well, uh, Marcus Staines and uh, Al uh, Pedrique. So two new coaches. Uh, of course, we had the, the saga with Derek Jeter. Uh, he decided to sell his stake within the team. So, you know, you have that. This team wasn't that successful with his, under him. So you have all that going on. Uh, just, just blew it with their stadium. Just a whole bunch of drama surrounding this team. And it has when we left. <laughs> But one positive thing going into this season was that they were a pretty solid team last team last season, excuse me, in terms of pitching. That hasn't necessarily changed so much this season. I got to look more into their stats. Uh, however, last season they were six in total uh, team ERA. They were six in uh, runs allowed. Two of their top pitchers were Sandy Alcantara. Now again, the records here don't matter because we know that this team has so many holes. But as pitchers, uh, these guys are pretty solid. Alcantara would have a three point, sorry, yes, three point one nine ERA, two hundred and one strikeouts. Trevor Rogers would have a two point six four ERA. Of course, their records weren't that good, but when you're dealing with a team like this, that kind of doesn't matter. Uh, he had a great. Uh, strikeout through nine inning rate with a 10.6 th so through any uh outing that he's that he's in he's lobbing to get you 10 he was he was getting team well getting his team over 10 strikeouts so again they have things to build on but overall they have a whole lot of holes again i'll get into where i believe they'll finish in just a little bit uh we have the braves up next last year of course they are our world series winner they finished the regular season 88 and 73 so that was a little bit surprising to people uh they were second uh in the national league in total home runs fourth in team ops in terms of pitching uh they were eighth in strikeouts uh as a squad so a little bit middle of the road there they were they were fourth in team era uh, despite losing Freddie Freeman on the offensive side of things, of course he would go on to LA. Uh, they would keep their their core uh, of Ozzy Albies, Dansby Swanson, of course Eddie uh, Eddie Rosario. He had some uh, he had some attention coming his way in terms of the offseason. I'm pretty sure. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Twins and the Nationals, um, if I'm not mistaken, they offered him something. Uh, but again, I'm pretty sure the Nationals did. I'm not too sure about the, uh, sorry, the Twins did. I'm not too sure about too sure about the Nationals. But anyways, they retained that, that World Series core. And on the mound, uh, they did the same thing. They kept Max Freed. Uh, they also kept uh, Ian Anderson, Charlie Morton. And, uh, you know, they also added uh, Kenley Jensen to that bullpen. So this team is looking pretty potent, uh, not necessarily just to start off this year, but again, it, it is early. But with some of the moves that they made, uh, they didn't, you know, 
Again, they retained the winning core. They didn't make too many changes. You know, I don't see too much changing. Again, they were a slow starting team last year. Uh, they pretty much maintained a image of being middle of the pack. Their record was kind of reflective of that. But when it came down to winning, they did so. So I wouldn't count them out, particularly, you know, it being so early. Up next, we have the, uh, the Mets here. A bit of a turnaround team right now. We'll get into that uh, in just a little bit. Uh, we But last year... They didn't finish so. They didn't do so high. Third in the division, seven and seven, seventy-seven and eighty-five. Uh, they ended up line, uh, high, fire, sorry, firing uh, their manager Luis Rojas and bringing in Buck Showalter. Showalter, he's a three-time manager of the year. Uh, he spent most of his much of his career in the AL East, uh, but he did spend some time with the Angels in the nineties as well. Uh, he will lead the Oilers to their first divisional champion. Uh, divisional championship in 17 years back in 2014 and because uh, that was his most recent uh coaching uh stop and uh, he had been out of the league for a while and in 2013 he would win their first playoff game since 1997 so he did a couple good things in baltimore uh the the hope is that he'll turn this squad around and kind of do the same thing they won they were they started off winning more games than they, than they were than what they were supposed to and then again they got the to the playoffs again etc etc so that's what they're hoping here uh they bring in they did bring in two great aces over the offseason, Max Serger and also Chris Bassett. Uh, for Serger, he was a 7-0 starter last year with a 1.98 ERA. That was tops in the league, one of the top ERAs in the league. For Bassett, he was 12-4 as a starter for the A's last season with a 3.15 ERA, 1.055 whip, which is pretty decent, and also 159 strikeouts. Very underrated because, of course, uh, he's coming from Oakland, and you know they don't get a whole those players. Some of their, some of our great players don't get a whole lot of press just because of that until they eventually find themselves on a team like this. But the Mets, uh, in terms of pitching last season, were fifth in team RA. So Bassett and and Scherzer really fit in well with that and improve look to improve that. And I believe so far it has done that because uh, they're currently first in team. Uh, in, First in team ERA in in, two, uh, in terms of team ERA with a two thirty six excuse me, uh, last season they were at a three point nine so already it's starting to make a change. Uh, they're already giving up the best average in the uh, so far this season with just a one eighty six so teams are not batting really well off them. Uh, so again, those off season moves made it made a difference and currently you know this team is actually on top of the standings right now in terms of the NLEs. Uh, but like I said, they took whatever else the A's had to offer. They took uh, Mark Canha, also Sterling Marte for Canha. Uh, last season, he would have 17 home runs, 61 RBIs. Uh, I believe it was a 795 OPS. Not doing so bad right now. I believe he's already hit two home runs with the team. So, again, good moves in the offseason. Uh, looks like they wanted to take it. Signed a decent manager as well in the offseason, so it looks like they wanted to take those steps rather quickly to improve. And uh, so far, it looks like they have, just with the start that they've had. Uh, moving on to the Phillies, uh, back in 20, they were finished last season 82 and 80, second in the, in the division. I believe they had a chance to finish first in the division. They were really close at some point, but things would fall apart for them just a little bit. But over the offseason, they would add 
heavy hitters such as Nick Castellanos, also Kyle Schwarber, uh, Schwarber. Uh, Nick Castellanos would have 100 RBIs last season, 34 home runs. Schwarber would have 71 RBIs with 32 home runs. So just to kind of give you an idea of what they're trying to do this year, they're trying to hit the ball, obviously. Um, they also bring in some solid pitchers as well. Uh, they bring in Brad Hand, Jury's Familia, and also Corey Nebel. Neville had a pretty good year last year, limited, uh, but he had a 2.45 ERA and also 30 strikeouts. Uh, again, he had a very limited, I believe he suffered through some injuries, but not a whole lot of action last year. Uh, seemed to be limited in those stats. But again, looks like a solid team uh, going in. They look, they look like a solid team going into the season. They're currently a, a little bit below 500, so we'll have to, again, another wait and see kind of thing right now. We're so early. It's again. It's hard for me to just jump and make a decision so early into a decision. I'd have to. Wait. I, I would rather like to wait later on into the season. That's just personally me. But everybody likes to put one out early into the year, like a preview, and just to kind of everybody wants to guess on it before they even see any significant games. And it's like, how can you? How can you really make a, a proper decision on these teams? It's hard, even as of right now, in my opinion. But, again, I'll try. But we have the Washington Nationals, a.k.a. the Washington the Washington Juan Sotos, because that's all they are, Juan Soto. Uh, last year, they were finished uh, near the bottom of the division, 65-97. Uh, uh, pretty... You know, uh, well, of course, Juan Soto, um, one of the better hitters in the league, over, you know, 20 home runs, over uh, 75 RBIs. Again, that's about that's about one of the best things they have going for them. Uh, offensively, though, they weren't that bad. Uh, fifth in OB, OPS in the National League. Uh, sorry, fourth in OPS in the National League with a 779. Uh, first in the National League in batting average with a 266. Uh, but again, it didn't amount to too many wins. Again, they didn't really do a whole lot in the Nash. Uh, sorry, in the off season. And uh, again, as you can tell, they've already started off six and ten. I don't see anything changing with this squad. Again, they just have Juan Soto's, which is Juan Soto, which is why I call them the Nationals, aka the Washington Juan Soto's, because that's it right now. Um, they have nothing to offer on the mound right now. Uh, like I said, offensively outside of Soto, that's it. So uh, I, this is probably the one team where I'll probably say that record that you see from last year that'll probably uh, they'll probably have that same record. I don't guess record. I definitely don't guess records. But this is the one time that I'll make an exception. One of the few times where I'll make an exception. They're probably going to finish with about sixty some wins. I don't I don't see anything else happening for them that great. Uh, but let's move on to the Central. We had the Cardinals here last year. They were finished second. Uh, in the Central Division, 90-72, and 72, uh, fifth in team batting average, seventh in slugging percentage. So, again, a pretty good squad coming back this year as well. First, um, I believe in home runs as well. Uh, they do bring back their veterans, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson. Uh, again, they're looking to – oh, they also brought in a new addition here, Steven Mass to the pitching staff, 14-7 and seven last year as a starter, 3.82 ERA. Of course, we have Adam Rainwright. They brought in Albert Pulos for one last ride. They kept Yadier Molina for one last ride. Uh, I, I'll get into where I think they'll finish in just a little bit. 
Rubinon, we had the Brewers here last season. They would finish first in the NL Central, uh, but they will lose in the NLDS to the Braves. Uh, but they finished last season 95 and 67. They have a great triple threat on the mound with Corbin Burns. He was a Cy Young winner last season, 2.43 ERA. We have uh, Freddie Peralta with a 2.81 ERA, and also Brandon Woodruff. Uh, he would finish last season with a 2.56 ERA. So great pitching on the mound. Uh, I, di I definitely think they did not have a few players offensively come through for them. Of course, Jackie Bradley was supposed to be a great offensive uh, offseason ad. He he fell through. That didn't really work out. Uh, but, again, that was probably one of the things that held him back, of course, going into the playoffs. But great pitching staff, uh, great manager, and great counsel. So, uh, look for them to finish near the top of this division. Up next, we have the Cubs. Uh, they will finish fourth in the division, 71-91 and 91 last season. They will bring in a big-time import from Japan, right fielder Seiya Suzuki. Now, he's been playing Japanese baseball since 2018. Uh, his best season came in 2020 we had, when he had a 300 average, uh, 953 OPS with 25 home runs, 75 RBIs. Uh, 2021, uh, it, it, he even he proved even more with 38 home runs, a 3.17 average, and a 1.069 OPS. So far this year, again, it, it you know, it he just he just gets get keeps getting better. Um, again, 1.404 uh, OPS, four home runs already, 11 home runs, 3.87 RBI, 5.39 slugging. I believe he has a 565 on-base percentage. Uh, the best, uh, man, so far one of the best offensive players right now in terms of batting. So, uh, Seiya Suzuki, Cubs have made a great find. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And he's a great player, definitely. Up next, we have the Reds, 83-79. and 79. Uh, They will finish third in the division. Again, another team right here along with the Phillies that, you know, they were in the, the divisional mix for a minute, and it just kind of just fell off within the last couple of weeks. Uh, finished third, finished, of course, out of the playoff race. Uh, actually, I believe made it to the uh, wild card, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, last year, they would finish as a, as a decent hitting team. Uh, top uh, three in batting average and also slugging. They would finish fourth in on-base percentage with a 337. They were fourth, uh, also fourth uh, in the division, sorry, in the NL in home runs, also fourth in terms of runs scored. Of course, we know about the, the story of Jonathan India, the second baseman, uh, just came out of nowhere. Of course, uh, he was a rookie of the year for the National League, uh, really solid player, uh, part of that great offense. So far, they've been struggling, though. Uh, but last year, in terms of their pitching, okay. Uh, they finished 10th in terms of ERA, 4.40. Uh, uh, they also finished 10th in runs allowed. So, again, average team on the mound, uh, pretty decent hitting. And uh, that's what you got from the from the Reds last year. Uh, what you got this year, you still have Jonathan India. You still have those great offensive players, minus, I think, Jesse Winker and Cassianos now. Uh, so it's, ugh, that's all I'm going to say. For the Pirates, they finished last year 61-101, and 101, uh, last in the division, one of the worst records in all of baseball as well, next to Baltimore. Uh, they will finish last in the, in the NL in terms of OPS with a 694. They would have they would actually finish last in home runs as well, 7th in RBIs uh, with 563, 10th in runs scored. 
So not a lot going on here, but they did have one bright spot, and that would be Brian Reynolds. 302 average, 390 on base, 522 uh, in terms of slugging with a 912 OPS, 24 home runs, 90 RBIs, and I believe the team's only all-star. So look for him to be a factor this year. Uh, I don't know how far this team can go per se. Again, I'll, I'll talk about you know where I think these teams will finish in just a little bit, and uh, in terms of in terms of pitching again, this team uh, was a bottom dweller, uh, 14th in total team ERA. Uh, they also finished last into or near last in terms of saves with only 25, 14th in runs allowed, 14th in runs allowed, excuse me, and 12th in strikeouts. So again, a lot of issues across the board. Uh, not too sure uh, where they can uh, focus, where they could, you know where they could have focused on to get an immediate improvement. Uh, but, um, yeah, yeah. But they're okay. Again, the, the year has started off uh, crazy, and they, they don't look as bad. I don't. I mean, I guess that's the best way I could put it. They don't look as bad. So, again, time will tell maybe. Now, let's move on to the NL West. Let's wrap everything up in terms of these uh, these previews. Uh, last year for the Giants, they were finished 107 and. 55 again one of the surprise stories in baseball first in the division but they would lose to their dreaded rival the dodgers uh three games to two i believe it was the nlds if i'm not mistaken of course uh but some key losses for this team in the offseason of course they would lose kevin gaussman he's a 14 and 6 starter last year 281 era over 220 strikeouts they did bring back anthony desclafani and also alex wood and they will also bring in Carlos Rondon, Alex Cobb, and also Matthew Boyd. So, again, some really good pitchers here. They also got to do something about, of course, Buster Posey. Again, he finished with a career average of 302, over 15, uh, actually 1,500 hits, over 150 home runs. A lot of things they got to, uh, you know, replace here. Five-time Silver Slugger, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, even. Uh, but they are looking for Joey Bart to uh, fill in those shoes. He was drafted by the Giants in 2020. Currently, uh, he's rocking a career uh, average of 232, uh, on-base percentage of 298. So he is approving. Uh, if we look at what he's doing this year, so far in 2022, he has a 448 slugging percentage, 772 OPS, up from his career average of a 646. He already has two home runs on the year with four RBI. So again, big shoes to fill with Buster Posey, but uh, knowing the Giants, they probably found a good player regardless. Brandon Crawford, Brandon Bell, and also Mike Yaskrimski will all be returning. Crawford has a two, had a 295 average last year, 503 slugging percentage, of course, on base percentage pretty solid as well with a 373, 895 OPS between, sorry, 24 home runs and 90 RBI. So Giants looking to pretty much go back to work and see uh, if they can finish first again. Uh, they'll be they'll be looking to battle uh, with the Dodgers. Now up next we have the Padres here, 79 and 83, completely fell off uh, near the end. They finished third in the NL West. Of course, no playoffs for them. They signed manager Bob Melvin from the A's in the offseason. Uh, they kept their two best offensive players, Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. And of course they would keep up with their pitching staff as well, their pitching core with Joe Musgrove. Yu uh, Darvish and also Blake Snell. I don't really know how to feel about this one because uh, the pitching is what really uh, struggled 
and it was one of the main reasons why this team fell apart last season. Eighth in team ERA, so middle of the road there with a 4.10. They were also, um, I believe it was eighth in runs allowed as well with over 700. They also 10th in home runs allowed with 205. So, again, I wasn't a big fan of this squad, uh, of this pitching squad. But again, they decided to keep them together. Darvish and Snell will both finish with ERAs above four. Again, I don't like that those you know those numbers, but I guess the Padres felt some type of uh, I don't know some type of hope. But Snell will also give up sixty nine walks last season. Not not good at all. Darvish will give up eighty one runs just by itself. Again, all over the place offensively. Of course, some things to be desired here. Ninth in team OPS with a 7.22, eighth in team batting average. Again, middle of the road. Uh, there's only 15 teams in the National League, so 2.42 average for them. Of course, like I said, middle of the road. 11th in home runs, 11th in runs scored, and 11th in RBIs. So again, uh, they have. The, I think they have the players in terms of names, but um, the the finished product has to you know has to result, of course, in some wins. I don't know really what led to everything falling apart was it coaching was it truly the makeup of the team uh you know who really knows uh this season will be the, the time to answer that uh but moving on we're going to talk about the diamondbacks last year they would finish uh fifth of course in the nl west with a record of 52 and one uh 52 and 110 of course bottom um you know, in a lot of these stats, these team stats, in terms of batting, they would finish 12th in batting average, 13th in on-base percentage, and 13th as well in slugging percentage. They would also finish 13th with a team OPS of 692. Uh, but one of their bright spots, again, offensively, Keitel Marte, center fielder, 318 average, 909 OPS, 14 home runs last season with 58 RBIs. Again, uh, just something positive for this team uh, because overall, there's not much to say. They finished 15th last year in Team ERA, 14th in strikeouts. They gave up the most runs in the National League. Again, probably in all of baseball next to Baltimore. Uh, again, not uh, not too much to write about. Not too much to write home about here. Let's move on. We got the Rockies here, 74-87, fourth in the National League West. Uh, they did bring in Chris Bryant in the offseason. Uh, last season, he had a uh, overall hitting uh, hitting line of 265 353 and a 481 slugging percentage with a 834 OPS so not bad 25 home runs 73 RBI between two stops uh one of them being San Francisco uh and in this season so far again not bad at all 349 uh, 349 average 309 on base 442 slugging 830 OPS with two doubles and four RBI so far with 11 runs scored. And that's one of the best uh, numbers in the league right now, one of the top numbers in the league right now. Now, um, in terms of uh, pitching last year for Colorado, fifth, they were fifth in runs allowed. Uh, so, okay. So, okay in that stat. Uh, second in team batting average, 254 uh, there. Uh, actually near the bottom in that uh, category. Excuse me, let me take that back. I believe it was like 28th. Uh, so teams were teeing off on them. They weren't giving up a whole lot of runs, but teams could tee off on them. Uh, they were also six overall. Oh, let me take that back. Sorry, this is for their, their offense. Excuse me. Uh, they were fifth in run scored uh, with 739, so not bad in that stat. Second in team batting average, of course. That's in the NL with a 254. Let me take all that back. And six in the uh, six. Um, in terms of team OPS with a 750. So offensively, not a bad team, to say the least. 
it was pitching in which they were struggled. Uh, 12th in team ERA with a 4.82. They were also 11th in runs allowed. Gave up a lot of runs. Uh, also, two, they gave up a 260 batting average. So that was 26th. 26 in the MLB. So again, teams were hitting pretty much at will on them, scoring on them. Uh, they again, they scored pretty well, but they gave up a lot of runs too. So uh, that's something that they would have to look into improving going into this year and as the season goes on. And finally, we have the Dodgers. They would finish uh, second in the NL West. They weren't expecting to finish behind the Giants, but they did. But they, like I said, they got their revenge uh, against them in the wild card matchup or early in the playoffs. Uh, but they would finish with 106 wins, 56 losses. They would lose in the NL Championship Series to the Braves, four games to two. So a little bit disappointing. Uh, they were able to snag uh, one of the Braves' key pieces, though, uh, Freddie Freeman. Uh, he comes into town. Last year, he would lead the league and run scored uh, with 120. Uh, he had a 300 average, 393 on base with a 503 slugging percentage and also an 896 OPS uh, with 31 home runs, 83 RBIs. He was a silver slugger last year as well. That is what's coming to town. Uh, Kershaw and Walker Bueller stay stay in town. Uh, La La Land, of course, doing the damn thing. Uh, Bueller would have one of the best, well, the third best ERA uh, in the MLB last season with a 246. Uh, second um, in terms of his whip. Uh, 0.97 deadly pitcher deadly in the playoffs at least in the regular season as well 212 strikeouts from him of course we all know about Clayton Kershaw not too much to say about that but and again we know about what this team can do offensively Cody Bellinger Will Smith not the one that slapped Chris Rock but the catcher so on and so forth Max Muncie we know what it is now Let's get to my standings or my prediction on how these standings should play out, at least in my opinion. Uh, let's move on to the American League. We're going to start off there with the American League East. I have the Blue Jays finishing on top, and I just like what they have here in terms of their prominent balance, prominent young batters, uh, Bechet, Bo Bechet. Uh, we got Savan Vigio, of course, uh, your boy Vlad Guerrero Jr., Mr. Power Hitter himself. Prominent pitchers, Hyunjin Ryu. Again, there's a lot to look at here. Uh, they also brought in Matt Chapman uh, in the offseason in terms of their offense. So, again, I got the Blue Jays winning it. Like I said, prominent balance, good players on, you know, in terms of hitting and pitching. I feel like it is a three-team three race uh, for the number two spot, maybe even a four-team team race possibly for number one as well. Uh, I can't distinguish the Yankees, the Rays, and the Red Sox from each other. They all made great, pretty solid moves in the offseason or maintained uh, whatever core uh, they've had so far. I... Um, yeah, I can't. I can't really say it right now. And currently, uh, they're only within a one game, you know, reach from each other um, in terms of uh, these the current standings. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but I have um, I have the Blue Jays finishing first. Uh, but just for the sake of kind of mapping this thing out, I would have to have the Red Sox finishing second. Uh, the Rays finishing right behind them, and of course the Yankees. But again, this is going to be really competitive. A very competitive division. Uh, I would not be surprised if they sent two wild card teams again this year, but that's not necessarily in my prediction. Uh, but I do feel, uh, like I said, in terms of my rankings, Blue Jays, Red Sox, 
uh, Rays and the Yankees, and of course the the Orioles eliminate themselves before June. It they're not really involved. Uh, but let's move on to the Central. I have Chicago uh, getting their shit right. I know that the the current record doesn't say that, but I have Chicago getting their shit right, um, finishing on top. Now. This one is wild. You might think I'm crazy, uh, but I have uh, I have the Twins or the Tigers finishing second or third, uh, respectively. And the reason why I'm saying that um, I liked how the Tigers finished uh, last season. I think they have a good young core with Torkelson, excuse me, and the Twins. Same thing. They great offensive uh offensive team they score a lot of though they get a lot of home runs they're a great power hitting team great rbis extra based hitting team i feel like they made a great addition with carlos correa they've made some decent additions to their pitching staff which is one of their weak which was their biggest weakness i feel like they've addressed those things i feel like second and third place could easily go between one of those two teams so that would put the guardians at the fourth place spot Again, uh, they finished with 80, 80 wins, if I'm not mistaken, last year. Uh, they've lost a few pieces since last last season. I don't think they finished last season on a great note either. I think they're going to take a, a down uh, a downward trajectory uh, as the season goes on. They've they're currently first, if I'm not mistaken, maybe one or a half game above uh, Chicago. I just don't see that being the, the case for the entire season. I don't see the I don't see the Guardians holding. Uh, that first place spot for an entire year. I don't see it. And finally, we have the Royals here. Again, not much to say that they've accomplished in the offseason. Uh, not much that they bring to the table currently. Uh, I see them finishing again at the bottom of this division. Moving on to the AL West, I see Seattle uh, finishing first. I think they've made some great additions over the offseason, brought in Robbie Ray. Uh, they had a great uh, hitting staff to begin with or great batters to begin with. They've uh, upgraded there to an extent, like I said, definitely upgraded in terms of their pitching. Uh, they fit, they almost uh, won the division last season, uh, close to doing it, maybe about a game away. I got, I'm giving them the nod. I'm giving the Angels the second place spot here uh, on on basis of Mike Trout is healthy. Shia Otani, he's he's going to be even better. Uh, they brought in some solid pit, uh, players in the offseason. And as long as everybody stays healthy, uh, this team should win a lot of games, particularly with the Astros and the A's taking a step back. I see the A's finishing at third, but the Rangers, they spent a whole lot of money in the offseason, so I think they could take strides and finish uh, third, uh, possibly. So that would put them, uh, the A's and the Astros, near the bottom this year. Uh, between one of those two guys, somebody has to finish fourth, and I'm going to have to go with the A's. Uh, they're starting off hot right now. Uh, they also have a winning record against teams above 500, but again, it is early. I just don't think a whole lot of teams have a whole uh, whole game plan for this squad just yet, but we'll see how the season goes along. There's a lot of new guys, new faces that nobody's accounted for for the A's right now. So there's not a lot of, you know, not, you know, not, a, not a lot of ways that this, that other teams know how to attack these guys. So I think as the season goes along, some of our bigger holes, of course, in our, you know, giving up a stars and talent will will you know for trades and whatever are giving up on talent. You know, in terms of Matt Olson and, and Chapman, that will come back to bite us. That's my opinion. Um, I do not. I would not be surprised if we finished last in this division. Uh, moving on to the National League, uh, we have uh, I have the Braves finishing fi- uh, finishing first. 
I know y'all think I'm crazy. I just don't see New York maintaining this for a for a whole season. I haven't seen it since I've for for many years now. I'm the type that has to see it to believe it. I'm gonna go with the Braves. I'm gonna go with the sure product. I have the Mets finishing second. Again, they're going to take strides. They're going to win games that they're not supposed to. A whole bunch of games more. Uh, surprise a whole lot of people, but I just don't see them winning the division this year. But a wild card may come of that, uh, may come of things. Uh, Phillies, I see the Phillies finishing third because the Nats and the Marlins, uh, they have nothing to offer. So I have the, the Nats finishing last and Marlins finishing third. Uh, they may take some strides this year with terms uh, because of their I mean, because I feel like their pitching staff is improved. Um, in terms of the Marlins, I also feel like their hitting is improved to some extent. People got to stay healthy. Uh, but I see the Marlins, again, taking some strides. Uh, they might finish third, but they'll finish with more games than what people expected. That's my opinion. Moving on to the, uh, the Central, I have the Brewers taking the first place spot. Again, great pitching, solid hitting. Um, again, I think the Cardinals, they have some good pieces there. They're a little bit older. I don't know what you know what depth the Cardinals have to really push things. I like the additions uh, that the Cubs made again with Suzuki. He's a great player right now. I do have him finishing third, uh, but I think that there's a, a chance they could push the Cardinals uh, out of that spot and finish second themselves. Uh, we have Pittsburgh. I have Pittsburgh finishing. Uh, third again, they're going to be another team. I, I feel that's going to take some strides, but again, kind of finish where they normally do. And the Reds, they just look very terrible right now. Uh, they didn't do a whole lot in the offseason other than maintain, of course, their younger guys. Uh, but I think it's going to be an off year for them. They finished last, and it looks a little bit bad. And finally, we have the NL West. I have the Dodgers here finishing first. Although I want to go, I have I have the the Giants in my mind making it to the World Series, uh, but I I have the Giants in my mind making it to the World Series, but I have the Dodgers winning the division. I just think there's a little bit more prominent balance here, and in terms of the Giants, uh, they do have some some balance here too. But again, their guys are a little bit older. I don't know how you know what's going to happen in terms of the injury bug we have questions in terms of what's up with joey bart is he the guy to really take over for buster for buster posey uh the kevin the kevin gaussman's loss hurt this team a little bit more we'll have to see there although it hasn't shown up just yet uh in this in this season i got them uh i still got the finish in second i have the padres finish in third because the the rockies and the diamondbacks in my opinion have nothing really to offer. I think the Rockies do turn some heads. They win more games than usual, but they finish third. And the Diamondbacks, again, they are trash. And, um, yeah, we know what it is. Uh, so let's move on to some scores from today. I'm only going to talk about the major scores. Uh, we're going to go deeper into the majors, the, some of the uh, – so, well, major scores i don't want to say it like that but i'm going to go into certain scores i'm not going to go into all of them i'm not going to break down every game but of course like you know what i mean let's get into it uh we have first things first we have the cardinals uh getting a win here against the reds four to two uh we have the giants getting a win here against the nationals seven to one uh, the giants are currently nine and five the nationals are six and ten for the giants left fielder austin slater will get a three-run home run brandon crawford will get three rbis so a good game offensively for the giants on the mound jacob junis will get his first win of the season Going for five innings of work, giving him three hits, uh, getting four strikeouts, and no earned runs. So a good start from him for the Nationals third baseman, Mike Gale. 
Franco would get a, a solo home run, uh, but on the mound, it was a struggle. Uh, starting off with their starter, uh, Patrick Corbin. Uh, he would get this, his third loss of the year. No wins just yet, uh, but only lasted for about a little bit over an inning, giving up seven hits, seven earned runs, three walks. It wasn't going to work. The Brewers, they take a loss here to the Phillies, 4-2. to two. Uh, The Red Sox get a win against the Rays, 4-3. to three. Uh, We also got the, uh, excuse me, the Cubs here. Uh, they take an L here to the Pirates, 4-2. to two. Uh, We got the Astros. They take a win. Uh, they get a win here against, sorry, the Blue Jays. They get a win here against the Astros, 4-3. to three. The Blue Jays are 9-5. The Astros are 6-7. and seven. For the Blue Jays, second baseman Santiago Espinal and center fielder Bradley Zimmer will both get solo home runs. Matt Chapman and Lourdes Gurriel will get some RBIs as well. And pitcher Jordan Romano will get his eighth save of the year. Uh, just closing things out for the Astros. Looking really good doing that. Uh, sorry, for the uh, closing things out for the Blue Jays. Looking real good for that. Looking real good doing that. And uh, for the Astros, Alex Bregman and first baseman Yuli Gurriel will bring in some runs. But of course, it wasn't enough. Justin Verlander made a rare mound appearance of course he's been caught up in injury the past couple of seasons but he went for six innings gave a four hits three on three on runs he would have five strikeouts but again uh wasn't enough to get that w uh we have the chicago white Sox taking the l here somewhat of an upset to the twins two to one we have the orioles getting an upset win against the angels five to three we have the mets getting a win here against the diamondbacks six to five and we have the dodgers uh they blow out the padres six to one the, the dodgers are currently 10 and three the padres are relatively within things in terms of that NL West race at nine and six. Uh, for the Dodgers, Mookie Betts will get two uh, two solo home runs. Max Muncy will get a home run, also driving two uh, two RBIs. After that, Justin Turner will get an RBI as well. And on the mound, Julio Arias uh, he would even things up in terms of his record. He's currently one and one on the year. Going for about five innings of work, giving up two hits, just one earned run, six Ks from him. And for the Padres, right fielder Will Myers will get the team's only RBI. Uh, the team will go 0-4-4 with runners in scoring position, seven runners left on base. Uh, Nick uh, Nick Martinez will take the start in this one, take the L as well, his second of the year. No wins for him just yet. Uh, four innings of work for Martinez, gave up four hits, two earned runs, five walks uh he would have four k's but again what does it matter when you're getting beat up like that uh we had the royals taking another loss taking another taking another loss here this time to the mariners four to one and uh finally we had the rangers beating up on my a's eight to one was the final score uh for the uh, the rangers this is their second one in a row if i'm not mistaken uh they're currently four and nine the a's still above 500 of course it being so early it is a little bit surprising, though. They're currently 8-7. and seven. For the Rangers, Nathaniel Lowe, their first baseman, will get a, a two-run home run. Uh, third baseman Andy Ibanez will get a home run. And Marcus Simeon and also left fielder Brad Miller will bring in RBIs. For the Rangers, they were 3-4 and four with runners in scoring position. And on the mound, uh, Glenn Otto will get his first one of the year going for five innings, just giving up two hits. Uh, he gave up one earned run, but he would also have five strikeouts. Uh, for the A's, first baseman Seth Brown will bring the team's only RBI in. Uh, only two hits in total for the squad. 
one and three with runners in scoring position, so they did not make the best of things there. Uh, and on the mound, Adam O'Leary will take his second loss of the year. No wins just yet for him. Uh, five innings on the mound, and also five hits. He gave a five earned runs, just two strikeouts for him. So let's move on to the current saying. My first uh, standings that I've released so far, gone over so far uh, this year. But we have in the American League, starting off in the East, we have the Blue Jays, nine and five, three wins in a row for them. Behind them, uh, we have the Yankees, just one game back, eight and six. Boston, seven and six. Rays, seven and six. Like I said, I can't really tell the difference between Boston, uh, Tampa, and New York. And you know the records show eight and six, seven and seven, seven and seven. Of course. <laughs> and of course, we have the Orioles here, five and nine, already looking out of sorts. We had this uh, in terms of the Central. We had the Gardens again, surprisingly on top of things um, in terms of the division, seven and six overall, uh, plus twenty-two run differential, which is the best in the AL currently. Uh, right behind them, we have the Chicago White Sox. They have been struggling, five losses in a row. We'll, I'll have to figure out what's going on with them. Uh, we had the Twins at six and eight. We had the Tigers at five and seven. We had the Royals at five and seven as well and they're coming off back-to-back -back losses and out west in the american league we have the angels on top eight and six mariners on top at eight and eight and six the a's are eight and seven here they're four and three against above 500 teams so that's surprising as well uh not just to be one game of 500 but also one game above 500 against teams uh one game above 500 against winning teams Okay, that's interesting. Uh, who knows how long that's going to last. Uh, but for the Astros, they are 6-7, and seven, uh, 4 and 6 in their last 10, 3 losses in a row. So they're struggling. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what goes on with them for the rest of the year. And, of course, we have the Rangers here, 4-9, and nine, but they did uh, win back. They have won back-to-back. -back, so uh, they're, they're trying. Uh, let's move on to the National League. Uh, we're going to start off in the uh, the East Division. We have the Mets here, eleven and four, back to back wins from them, uh, plus thirty one. Plus 31 run differential, the second best in Major League Baseball. Behind them, we have the uh, the Braves, four games back, seven and eight. Yeah, surprising. Three and four against teams above 500, so they are struggling to an extent. We have the Phillies here, six and eight, back to back wins for them. The Marlins are at five and eight, and at the bottom, uh, three losses in a row for the Nationals. Six and ten is their overall record. Let's go on to the Central. Uh, we have the Cardinals here at eight and four. The Brewers are eight and six. The Pirates are seven and seven, and the Cubs are six and eight. And at the bottom. Uh, without no real, you know, surprise here, the Reds two and twelve, negative thirty nine, negative thirty nine run differential. That is the worst in Major League Baseball. And finally, we go to the Dodgers and the, the NL West. Uh, they are currently ten and three, back to back wins for them, plus thirty seven run differential, the best in Major League Baseball. Behind them, we have the Rockies, surprising at eight and four. Uh, the Giants are at nine and five, six and four against teams above five hundred. And then you have the Padres, who are nine and six, but one and three against teams above five hundred. I like the Giants. I don't like the Padres. They don't. They don't convince me. And of course, at the bottom, we have the Diamondbacks here at five and nine. Again, not much to say here. They're always losing. Anyways, y'all, I'm gonna call, <laughs> I'm gonna call this segment a wrap. Uh, this one took a little bit. I know we had to get into some. We had to get deep. All right, y'all. I'm gonna take a quick break, and I got some a last one last segment uh, waiting for y'all. So. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back, guys. Hey, 
All right, y'all. I'm back. I'm going to wrap this up for tonight. And um, something that grinds my gears is how blacks and even non-blacks, I don't know which one gets on my nerves even more at this point, but they both seem to throw out the black card or try to take away people's black cards based on all type of, you know, what's the word here, trivial reasons or you know, bullshit, you know, just things come up, you know, you might say something and, you know, for black folk, it's, you know, something that they might say to a, a light-skinned person, particularly when that light-skinned person says, say something, says something they don't agree with, you know, ideology, ideological issues, if that's, if that's, if I'm saying it right, or hopefully I'm saying it right, you know, all type of shit. Now, the non-blacks, they'll kind of say it, you know, say something too, when they, you don't, when you say something, you know, they don't really agree with. You know, when you speak out against, you know, racism or something like that, they'll try to tell you, oh, you're a half-breed this. You don't know. You've been projected. You've, you've had, you're projecting these things. Nobody's racist to you. You know? And I, it annoys me because, you know, this concept of race, or I'm black, I'm white, or, you know, I'm of African descent, I'm mixed or biracial, I'm Latino, you know, Asian. We are, you know, it's like two extremes, you know, it's like you're either white or you're black, or if you're mixed, you're somehow all these different things, but you can't be, you can't, you can't be okay with black people. You can't solidify yourself with black issues or something like that. It's, it's really weird. And they try to make it complicated. And I think, Let's just try to make it as simple as possible. Let's let's see if we can clarify this, at least from my end. People have their own opinions about this and, and all that, but you know, this is I, I you know this is how we identify ourselves. This is an identification. Now, are there visual things that tell us apart from black folks and whites and Latinos? Of course, uh, there's there's going to be those genetic things, of course, that you can relate to. There's also going to be the relation and what you relate to, you know what I'm saying? You know, black culture. There's a lot of, there's tons of black folk darker than me. They listen to country. They listen to rock. They listen to all these things that you would consider to be white, you know? So it's not fair to put black behavior or white, you know, white or whatever on a, on a, on a behavior or a style of music you might listen to. You know how many, how many times, you know, I might have been roasted coming up for listening to rock music. Rock music. Mind you, it never bugged me. I just wouldn't tell everybody. <laughs> you know, I just got to, well, you know, I'll tell whoever, you know, close people, whatever, or, you know, who's ever into it too, we'll, we'll vibe to it. You know, but it never, it never bugged me. I just said, you know, I'm just not going to, you know, promote it. I'm just not going to broadcast it. That's what I do. But eventually I found out that black people were influential in creating that genre of music. And just about every genre, modern genre of music you're listening to today. So where is the hang-up? We've got to let go of these hang-ups. And however somebody wants to, you know, identify themselves as, as how they do it. Now, mind you, there's just certain things the world is going to see. Now, I can't tell the world that I'm a white man and I'm this and that, despite me liking certain things. And I love baseball or I love to eat mayonnaise on my, but that wouldn't change. It doesn't change my skin tone, right? Just like with a white guy, you know, I sag my jeans and I'm listening to hip hop. You don't get to tell a black person, well, I'm blacker than you. No, that that doesn't work, man. <laughs> black, you know, you, you, you might act black, but act 
acting black or act a black is not an act. You know, this is real life. This is what I came out as. You know, and you know, it's just it's just silly and you know, it's just silly how people look at things. Oh, they look at me and the minute I bring up something racial, you know, particularly somebody from my opposite race that's not, you know, black, they'll say, Well, how do you know? Or, you know, you look like you're mixed, you're you're probably white and it's like, No. Black people come in all different skin tones, all different shades. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's about, you know, what I, you know, it's really weird, you know, because I wasn't raised by white folk. I know I have white people in my family, but um, I was raised by black people, black people darker than me for what it's worth. And, you know, they taught me, you know, about what's going on in the world with facing black men. So I never had, I never thought anything else. Yeah, I'm light skinned, but I never, you know, and when I was younger, yeah, I used to subscribe to I'm biracial. I would tell people, oh, I'm mixed with this, I'm mixed with that. But at the end of the day, you know, that it wasn't, it wasn't the dominant, you know, factor of what made me who I was, you know, because... At the end of the day, yeah, I could have been mixed with these different things, but I relate to the black culture. I relate, for me personally, I related to black people. You know, it, it didn't matter. You know, I, I remember going, I remember thinking back to when I used to live in Oregon with my mom. And um, I didn't find, you know, certain things about her growing up out there because she grew up out there. And, you know, her, her, you know, time was different, a lot different than what I had to go through. But, in terms of race, race relations, but I didn't find out this out until later, but, you know, she, she dealt with identity issues, you know, being one of the few black people living out there, you know, she knew that she was different, but she wanted, which from what, you know, my understanding and she was honest enough and real with me and told me, and, you know, again, she saw the error in, in that and decided to not only, you know, change how she viewed herself and viewed her situation there. She, uh, you know, always you know, would try to tell me to do something different, but like she's like she would tell me, she said I I would try to fit in, in all different types of ways, and it really didn't work as much as I thought, and you know I felt like I did lose a bit of myself, so I felt like as much as she could when I look back on it, she tried to put as much black culture in front of my face, or black men, particularly, and just black people in front of my face, as much as she could. Uh, because for what it's worth, she grew up listening to all different types of, you know, rock or country music. She made sure to, she made sure that I was listening to doggy style and, uh, and to, you know, Prince and to Michael Jackson. <laughs> I remember vividly, like she, the cold part was, I remember she wouldn't want me to look at the doggy style cover cause it was so graphic, but she'll let me listen to the, to the CD itself. You know what I'm saying? Like we would sit there and watch Portland basketball, you know? And that's why, you know, again, I'm a big time Portland Trailblazers fan. Cause we sitting there, you know, watching these people, relating to these people. You know, they look like us. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at Clyde Drexler and Dale Robinson. Not Dale Robinson, excuse me, Cliff Robinson and those guys, you know. And, yeah, you know you're lighter, of course, but at the same time, you know you're not white. I don't pass. So, you know, you're looking at somebody who's, you know, you know looks generally like you. And, of course, Damon Sotomayor came later. You had him. Of course, and I was, you know, still a young pup back then. Yeah, Rasheed Wallace again, you know, people who look more so like me because, of course, I'm lighter skinned, but still, you know. And, of course, you know, I 
you know, I mentioned it about Oregon football, you know, the Ducks and everything. They had tons of black players that I was watching on TV, tons of black black parrot players that I was looking up to. I just was recently watching a, a video about Ricky Whittle uh, earlier today and just thinking about, oh, man, I, I remember the name vaguely and I remember the numbers and I, I just, my mind jogged back to all those, you know, highlights and the games that I remember seeing, number 14. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know. So for me, it was, you know, despite me being light-skinned, y'all, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure this might exist for some people. Some people might have those, you know, questions. It was never fully a question because, again, like I said, my mom, she grew up kind of like that. But, you know, questioning and, and a little bit, you know, confused and, and wondering. But when I was around, you know, she made sure that I at least knew that I was different. You know, she might have, you know, I might have caught her listening to some rock music. And that's where my love for the genre came from. I might have, you know, caught her listening to some country music. And, and that my, and that did rub off. I mean, I to this day, I love some Garth Brooks. But, uh. You know, she made sure that I was exposed to that as well, you know, and, you know, it was never a case in my life where I ever felt, you know, that I was anything different. Other, I mean, I, I always felt, I always knew I was different, I always felt different. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, basically with how I looked, but how people related to me and how I got along with people, that meant a lot. And, you know, again, you know, we take so much for granted you know, just this human experience. And we waste so much time here debating about, you know, you know, how somebody acts or who they are, or what their race is or what their sexual orientation is. And, you know, you, you forget that, you know, we're all living this, this situation together. And there isn't any one quality that makes somebody a white, you know, a white guy, despite them looking black and all that. It's about how they how they personally want to relate and how they carry it, you know. And I'll never, you know, and despite, you know, how some of these, you know, people's I you know, people's viewpoints may land, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna say that they're white. Like, you know, for example, like, you know, Candace Owens, you know, she holds black people to a certain, you know, believe it or not, you might not hear it and how she approaches it, but she holds black people to a certain accountability. So do people like Jason Woodlock. That doesn't make them white, it doesn't change their race. And because they're talking like that and because, you know, again, you know, pro-conservative white people are, you know, playing into that and might see that, you know, that doesn't change their skin tone. Because at the end of the day, if, you know, Jason Whitlock or, you know, you know, Candace did not agree with those platforms or those issues, they, trust me, those those white folks that you see watching their shows and going to their little live wouldn't be there. And that's who they tend to attract because they, they have a, the same, you know, mindset, just like, you know, you know, blacks have, you know, always, uh, you know, looked at, you know, well, have always gotten along with the conservative side, sorry, the more liberal side for many, for many uh, years. Again, it's choice in how they relate. I mean, for what it's worth, you know, the Democrats passed civil rights. They passed the Voting Rights Act. At that time, the Republicans, they were neutral to our causes at best. This is just keep it real here. They didn't come up with anything. So, you know, that, you know, that is, you know, why you have these different ideals and, you know, beliefs. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, over the course since then, have the Democrats and, you know, liberal ideologies fallen by the wayside? Have they lost the mark, their mark and what they their standards were? Yes. Um, you know, they've done their share to, you know, help, you know, I wouldn't even say destroy, you know, because that's so it's so devastating of a word, but to kind of undermine what the black community has going on. They all play a little part. Uh, if you can't see the game that both of these sides are playing, that's on you. 
Um, I know, uh, despite being a light-skinned person, I, I do know, the, know that colorism exists in certain, you know, uh, facets of this life, particularly when it comes to, you know, inter those, the entertainment business and maybe even corporate America. But I wasn't raised, I was never raised on how to take advantage of that. That's all I can tell you. I wasn't raised on how to make my light skin work. And at the end of the day, and, and I know why, because that's that's hoish. Because I, I, I remember having this discussion with somebody and telling them, you know, well, you know, that might exist and these, these things exist. But, you know, that's on a person to person basis. You have to be fully aware that that is going on and, and understand that that's how you can benefit and want to do those things. Again, I was never taught any type of mindset or behavior on how to get white people to uh, be malleable or want to, you know, get along. I was never taught that. I was just taught how to be a good person regardless. I wasn't taught, again, I wasn't taught how to, you know, uh, finagle and use whatever light-skinned powers, dark-skinned people, some dark-skinned people, because it's not, trust me, it ain't all everybody, trust me, it's just the one-all people, you know. I never used, I, I, I was never, again, I was never taught that way. And then somebody told me, oh, well, you just don't have any skills, or or you just, you, no, I don't want to have those, I don't want to be used like a hoe. I have a special gift. We all have a talent, but we don't all want to be used and just want to be, you know, uh, just have our skill, you know, profit off of for somebody else or, you know, whatever to be a part of, you know, a, or a mindset or institution that does favor other people over, over, you know, others because of looks or how they, how you, how they're perceived to get along with white folks. Again, I'm not with all that. That might exist. I don't adhere to that. I don't. I don't get over it like that. So it's just interesting, you know, and it's just annoying sometimes, you know, just to have these conversations with people that we're still and we're still going there with people, you know, like light skin, dark. Your skin tone has nothing to do with how you get along, with white folks. It's you and kind of what you, what your personal values are and who you, who you value, you know, on your totem pole of people. I'm a person to person. I'm a, I'm the type that goes person to person. Uh, there's some great people that I've met, regardless of race and all those different factors. So that's kind of how I look at it. I would I would like at one point if the world would kind of look at it in a different way as well. But you know you got to take your steps. And you know I've made my friends. I'm happy. I'm content. And that's the best best way that I could tell people to to go about it. And you know if somebody hits you with you're not black enough or you're this or that. You know, you don't buy into that. You know, you don't get into the argument because, you know, at the end of the day, you know who raised you. You know what you love. You know what you adhere to. And you know what makes you happy. And that's how you live, you know. And if there's ever time that you need to change, it's the inside factors. It's not about changing who you are in terms of, you know, your what you find, what you like or what you have fun with or what you consider fun, you know, or what you consider to be art. None of that. It's about changing how, you know, how you respond to negativity or how you respond to positivity. Those are the things that are important. Not necessarily your race, not necessarily how much money you got, your background. You know, again, we're getting to the point, you know, you're getting deeper into, you know, the world. And, you know, people are nuanced. There's no one way to be a black man or a black woman or a white man or a Latino. There's many different ways to do this. This is life. Make it what you will. All right, y'all. I'm going to call uh, call it for tonight. 
If you are looking to get in touch with me, I'll be leaving some links available for you guys. Please be sure to check out the YouTube channel. And if you like, please subscribe. And as far as future episodes of the podcast are concerned, I'll be getting back into some NFL. We'll break it down the draft. I'll be starting off with uh, some of the top offensive prospects. And I'll be breaking down some of the top defensive uh, pro- uh, prospects within the near future. I'm also working on an upon further review. Uh, this time for the YouTube, we're working on a car wash, 1970s film, uh, comedy. I grew up loving it. Hopefully, you guys, some of you guys have checked it out. Uh, you'll be able to relate to me a little bit. And as far as uh, any more of the podcast uh, content to look out for, of course, baseball. We're, you know, in the middle. Well, we're in the beginning of the seasons. Uh, we're going to get through that. And we're also going to get through the NBA playoffs as well. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll holler at you guys later.